to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are um, going to be first turning to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, if you want to look there. Um, open your Bible or device, and we'll also have these verses up on the screen. Um, as we come to this last um, service and last uh, part of the sermon series on Advent. Um, we all come in. I hope you've had a wonderful um, Christmas month leading up to the celebration of Christ's birth. Um, and as we've studied here and seen here that we wanted to look at the picture of Christ's coming and um, his purpose in coming. So we took that 50,000 foot view he came for our sake to, to live a perfect holy life and to um, live a life that was sinless, to be a perfect sacrifice, but, but he came to do the work of the cross. He, he was um, sacrificed in our place, and so we, we've taken that look and we've taken that view and looked at reconciliation and justification, and, and now we're going to move to this aspect today where we're looking at awe that, that moves us to adoration, adoring him. But then uh, I hope that it makes this connection for you where that should lead to faithfulness. So that's where we're going to be going to get today, moving from awe to adoration to faithfulness. And in a lot of the scriptures, they point us that way. And so for us, when, it, when our family, as the boys have gotten um, older and older and older, we, we wanted to have certain things during the Christmas season where we would do these things as kind of small traditions as a family, that, that in all of them, we wanted to have fun and we wanted to have some time where we're, we're focusing our hearts and our minds on Christ, doing all kinds of things. But we also wanted it to be a thing where it's, it was fun and we were doing certain traditions that we would try to build in from year to year. And, and as Jamie and I get older, I don't know wh- what it is, but it's, it's kind of like this, this season, um, it, like the wheels were just coming off. Uh, the, like maybe it's our age or whatever it is. So for, for instance, this uh, last uh, Friday, was it Friday night? Was the, yeah, it was the Christmas Eve service. So we have friends who, one of the guys who I coach with here, and then also um, he's a good friend. He's a, the pastor out at First Baptist BA. And so last year they invited us, hey, come, man, you, you always have to be involved and leading stuff. Why don't you just come and sit and enjoy our um, Christmas Eve service? So we went last year. It was wonderful. I had a great time. So this year he had said a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and said, hey, uh, to us and another family, hey, come and just just sit in on the Christmas Eve service. It's short. And then let's go to dinner afterwards, have a really nice dinner, or take our families. And so, man, everything went wonderful. Jamie had even kind of like did a extra last minute thing and went and picked up some of the boys, some some um, like more comfortable, but still yet nice because, you know, no one wears jeans anymore, hardly. So like they're kind of those comfortable, loose things, but then they're also, they, they look nicer than what our boys usually come in here because it looks like we're coming out of the athletic room. And so um, they were already just, you know, great attitudes. We get on Memorial, which is usually a parking lot, and there's like no traffic. And so they're, in, they're having a good time. We're going down the road. We get there at 5.15, so we're 15 minutes early. Literally, Jamie said before she got out, she's like, we're way too early. I was like, no, this is normal time by the time you walk in for a 5.30 service. And so I went and parked the van and I walked in the building and there was no one in the halls. 
And so then we looked up on the TV, they have several TVs, and because um, he's a fancy boy, it's First Baptist, right? And so, and they, they had the, the, the lights, and he was, he was at the end where they're doing kind of like the, the end sending out, and I was like, oh no, and the boys, just their faces light up. Uh, because last year when we went, he did like an 11-minute sermon. You know, they had songs, they had baptisms, and they're like, Dad, why don't you do sermons like Dr. Matt? Like 11 minutes, that's incredible. And so they're like, his sermon like moved quickly beyond any of my sermons. They're like That was their first number one choice. Well, then they're like, Dad, did we miss the whole thing? And so I was like, there's no way that they started this earlier than 530 and like Jesus would not want you to have it earlier. And so they, I pull up my phone, and sure enough, from like three weeks earlier, our service is at 4.30, and then dinner plans, reservations at 8 o'clock. So there's this huge gap of time. But the boys and I, we and Jamie, we all walk in, and sure enough, people are looking at us because it's the end. There's four minutes left, and everyone's been there the whole time, and here we are walking. We just stood at the back, didn't even go to chairs, and so um, we, you know, just wheels completely coming off. Like, we can't even make a 4.30 Christmas Eve service, but then the boys did say, Dad, this one even topped it. This is the best service sermon we've ever been to. Like, three minutes, hey, God loves you, let's light a candle, amen, be gone. And so that moved to number one. Uh, his other one is number two. None of mine are in the top ten, probably. And uh, so then, then Jamie, uh, she's huge on gift wrapping and stuff like that. So to her, there's some sort of contest going on with the universe about gifts, like the, the way that she puts in the time. She may take three hours to do one box because, you know, everyone knows that's really important the way you unwrap it, right? These kids, they're, 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 these boys are like hyenas when it comes to presents. Like they may be using their teeth, just gnawing stuff off. And so I'm like, hey, babe, 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 just like, I mean, we could just wrap a Walmart bag around it and that'd be better. But she is very precise and she, she's phenomenal at it. She, she should, she should, there should be a game show about this. She, she loves taking the time. She's phenomenal at it. But this year she even said, hey, will you help me with doing the gifts? So we both got in there and knocked out like tons of gifts and half the time, and like and I'm and she kept just looking over there as I was doing stuff and it, it was it was bad. But anyway, the boys don't care, right? And no one cares. And then she for for Christmas Eve we were like we, we do several different movies that we watch every year. And so she's like, boys, boys, let's let's have come on down. Everyone get down here. Let's have our movie time. We have our Christmas Eve movie time, and she's asleep in five minutes. So now the boys get to ride that out for that. I was like, hey, remember, 44 years old is when the wheels come off for mom. And so then as she walked in there to start movie time, she's like, uh, they said, mom, hey, did you get all those gifts wrapped? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I've got everything. They're like, well, there's some gifts in the, there's still some stuff in the back of the van. She's like, ah, oh. so just we're, we're falling apart. We're, we're, the wheels are coming off. I don't know what it's going to be like in our 50s, but um, in all of that, far from perfect, we can still be faithful to some things. We want to be found faithful and, and trying to provide an, an environment where Christ is exalted, where we're enjoying him together as a family. Um, we went to the Rhema Lights, and uh, all kinds of things happened there too. And so it's like... Uh, in all of those things, I hope that you're enjoying the person of Christ. I hope that our Advent time and our time, um, even through the, the, the devotional and this Advent uh, book by Paul Tripp, that, that you've had your eyes and your gaze lifted up towards Christ to get a little more meaning, a little more depth out of what um, the person and work of Christ means to us here on this place. And so we'll be looking at that today, this moving from awe 
to adoring him to faithfulness. And I hope that you'll see that today. Um, A.W. Pink, so I've got a slide that shows A.W. Pink's, um, what, what he had said. Now, this is, this is uh, uh, going back maybe 40, 50 years, but he said that the nature of Christ's salvation is woefully misrepresented by the present-day evangelist. He announces a Savior from hell rather than a Savior from sin. And that is why so many are fatally deceived. For there are multitudes who wish to escape the lake of fire, but who have no desire to be delivered from their carnality and worldliness. And you see the difference there? People who want to be saved from an eternal consequence, an idea of consequences and pain, well, yeah, of course, I, I, I want to be saved from that, but not if it means that I'm having to cut out and not partake of these things over here that my heart really, really enjoys. And so you, you see that we're surrounded by culture. You probably have coworkers, neighbors, everyone, probably everyone in your neighborhoods. If you were to just go door to door and say, hey, are you guys believers? Are you Christians? They would be like, oh, yeah, of course. We live here in Oklahoma. And so they would just assume that. But yet, probably like my neighborhood, one out of 20 are actually gathering together to hear the word, singing songs to him because their hearts are in awe of him, um, gathering together as a fellowship to honor and to praise him, much less the aspects of truly being accountable to one another, truly growing as a body of Christ, um, loving one another in this way. And so in all of that, everyone assumes they're believers. But, but Pink was saying people want to be saved from hell, but, but not necessarily removed and saved from their own sins. And so... We prefer those. Um, how many have prayed a prayer one time to get saved from hell, but didn't really understand needing to be saved from the things that they actually enjoy, these desires and pleasures and pursuits and lifestyle that are actually sometimes what we actually are thinking of as the treasures of life. So um, this is where adoration comes in. This is where we take that step of going beyond your neighbors, going beyond the people around you who think that they're believers, what Pink was describing, those two sets of people, to where you're actually a person who truly is in awe of what God has done, but also your heart is adoring him, which leads to faithfulness. And so um, in that, you'll see tons of scripture uh, that, that bring that up. We cannot consider his first advent without um, considering his second advent. So what happens in the time between? And so um, in that, um, I'd encourage you to think through this today. So who is this Jesus, and what does he require of me? What does it look like? Not meaning that he, what he requires of you is work that you do to earn merit or earn salvation, but, but work that you're doing to where you are truly showing that you've been made a child of God, that you've been regenerated. Um, so def definitions for adoration. Um, here's just, if you looked up the word adoration, deep love and respect, devotion, reverence, worship, to glorify, to ex exalt, to extol. So all of those are in this pregnant word of adoration. Um, so when we talk about adoration of Jesus, we, we even selfishly, we owe it to ourselves to think through the degrees of adoration. So maybe you've experienced this where there are times where you truly were just in close, loving experience of him, close devotion, close adoration. 
But then, then there, there's degrees of that all the way to the, the dangerous, dangerous, dangerous part that we would see in Romans 1 where we've been hardened and hardened and hardened to the point where there, there is no awe and adoration. Um, there, there is no appreciation. We've taken for granted the grace that has been poured out on us. So um, as we look at this, I hope that we see this, this the dangerous threats to adoration also. And so we're going to bring those up in one of Jesus' parables later on. But I want to start out just looking at this place in Colossians to, to help us to see that everything finds its purpose in Christ. And so um, not only is Advent a good time to pause and be in awe of God due to what he's planned and provided for us in, in recreating a people, reconciling a people, uh, justifying a people, but if all of that is true, we should be a people just completely captivated by Christ and his work. Um, so not only Advent, but all that we know would be revolving around him. Uh, and so that should produce awe. Um, think through the creation account. Think through two big categories, creation account. Think through all that God did in creation. Some crazy, crazy, st- there's, there's like 14 to 18 different, at least solid, semi-solid theories of the creation account. So whether you do the hardcore six days and one day of rest, or if you do the um, all the different expanded views, and there's different views of well, what did this, what does day mean, and all these. So there's like 18 that you could still have a biblical foundation and still have a different view on just the creation account. Now some of you are going like, oh, that doesn't my, that wasn't what I was taught. So just just be a little graceful. Just understand there's smarter people out there. They've actually thought about it more than a paragraph on Wikipedia. So um, they've spent years doing it and written books on it and stuff. So there are other ideas. And so, and it doesn't any take away from the the, the Bible or the Bible's inerrancy or God himself. Um, But the creation account, one of the greatest events in in the history, obviously, right? Because from nothing, so ex nihilo, from nothing is is all this. Like that's pretty impressive. Like you can't do that, right? And so but do you realize all the purpose of all of creation is found in the advent and the life and the death and the resurrection and the second coming? Every single bit of the creation account. When you read Genesis and God said, and, and here's this, all this stuff starts happening. Every bit of that was pointing to and found its meaning in the advent of Christ. The life of Christ, the teaching of Christ, his death, his resurrection. So think through that. So, And the reason I say that we need to think through that is the Scriptures point us to that, but we separate that. We kind of believe, yeah, yeah, I know God, the cosmos, and God did all that stuff, and I know God's in control, but like all that's out there, and I even know the truths of justification and sanctification and reconciliation. Like we know those things, Jesus died on the cross for our sin, but there's a separation to, but, but here's life Monday through Friday over here for me. And so we have this separation. And, and sometimes as Christians, we kind of get in this rut of just trying to keep it all together and trying to do a really good job. And, and again, over here on this side, we know God wants us to be you know, nicer than the average folk and, and try not to steal and try not to do horrible things. But, but then we're over here and we're just left kind of doing our, our own stuff. And we're really busy and we're trying really hard. And we're wanting to, to prove that we, we love God. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we're looking at him as kind of this disgruntled, um, almost like a, a disgruntled cosmic Santa Claus that he is. He, he's just um, he, he's making his list and checking it twice, see who's naughty and nice, and we're over here trying to stay nice. And that's not the picture that the Bible presents at all, but if we're not careful, that's our view of God. He's over there, and we're down here in the real gritty stuff of life. 
And so we've got to get more of the understanding to bring that together. Every bit of your life is tied into, if all of creation was tied into this, every bit of your life is tied into the, the advent of Christ, the life, the teaching, the death, the resurrection, and his soon coming advent again. And so all of your life is fit into that, that context. Um, also, the end times events. Like, no one has that figured out, right? It, it's 2022 almost. And, and there's so many different variations of what people think about the end times, right? Um, but everyone um, just knows that you know, he, he's possibly coming back. And he, even people that don't believe, um, they, they kind of have this weird fear um, that, that what if that is true? And so even the end times events, if you read in Revelation some of the stuff that's going on, we, we can't even fathom. And, and even those things, so creation account, all the craziness that God performed there, and then all that's going to happen at the end times, every bit of the end time events have their meaning and purpose in the advent and, and the life and death and resurrection and second coming of Christ. All of it is consumed in him. So let's read this um, in Colossians. Um, all of these unfathomable mysteries that he has presented and all of it finds its purpose and meaning in Christ. So in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, even Satan. And he knew. Hitler's. And he knew. People that you look at in social media, and go those hideous, horrible people. He knew. All things created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. We, we, we can't even fathom invisible things. We can't fathom invisible things that have the power, if they want to, to knock this off, to just knock a shelf off. We, we just, like, that's kind of like mysterious, like we, we don't know, and like that's cartoonish. But there's invisible creatures and invisible things out there that he created for his glory. We can't even fathom that. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, so let me put this in, you know, earthly, you earthly people know about there are thrones, there are dominions, there are rulers, there are, there's these levels of authority and power. All things were created through him and for him. So he created them, it's by him, but also they were created through him and for him. So remember, and that gets us back to Jesus didn't just show up on the scene is baby Jesus, and he wasn't, he was, you know, just in kind of some floating incubator for three or four thousand years. Jesus was on the scene, and the Holy Spirit were on the scene in creation. So at the creation account, when it says the Spirit, capital S, is hovering over the waters, that, that picture of hovering over the waters was the, the picture there was this master um, orchestra God that he's, he's literally whipping this together. That's the word hovered there. So when you read that, that it wasn't just like God just sit back like, uh, grid grass, uh, blue deep water. I'm like, it's a beautiful picture that the Holy Spirit's involved with. And we just read from Jason there in John 1 where it says that he, Jesus is the one, he's the one who was part of that creation. He was, he was the one working in that creation. He was part of creating all that. So you've got the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. You don't want to have distinctions between them where Jesus just shows up later on. This is that he... Everything was created through him, and it was created for him. So think through that. Even things that are evil will end up leading to his glory. That's hard for us to understand if you've ever suffered true evil. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So before we knew little baby Jesus, and even little baby Jesus in a sad, stinky manger, as he's laying there as this baby, he was holding the whole universe together. Not one atom going rogue. Not one molecule going rogue. Um, we watched that show that just come out. I, um, uh, I, I can't remember the name of it. Don't Look Up, maybe, or something. And so it's about the huge asteroid, another one of those movies where the asteroid's coming or the comet's coming and going to destroy the Earth. And so all these people are uh, you know, talking about like they just discovered, these scientists just discovered this huge comet that's going to hit our planet, and we've got six months to you know, defeat it or the whole planet uh, just gets destroyed. And so in that... Um, there's not anything going on like that where he's like, oh, no, man, I took like a vacation and 2022 come around and, and or 2020 come around and COVID hit. I didn't, hadn't planned for that. Wasn't even thinking about that. Oh, there's some comets out there that might just slide into our planet. Wasn't planning on that. That's not how it was. Everything is completely under his control. It says he's holding all things together perfectly. And he is the head of the body. So now he goes more specific from grandiose things that we can't even understand to specifically the church. He goes, he's the head of the church, the body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So we have that hope we talked about a couple of weeks ago of, of resurrected eternal bodies that in everything he might preem be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not 80%, not Holy Spirit being a little jealous and like, why does he get to go in human form? I, like, if he's going to go, then he only gets 70% or 80%. Like, I, I don't want him to show off and stuff and get all the glory. That wasn't the, like all the fullness of God, the Spirit, uh, the, the, the God the Father going, fullness of God, pleased, happy, enjoyably pleased to dwell in this mucky, pitiful, sinful, dark place. But pleased to dwell to be the light of the world there. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, so, so think through that. All of those things, all that authority, all those ruling powers, all the creative power, the genius that everything was made by him and through him, and then it's going to come back to him for his glory. And then Paul takes this. Now, notice Paul's argument here when he goes to the next part. He goes from all those grandiose things that we can't even really figure out, the, the creation account, um, the, the, the end times accounts that we, we don't understand, all of that made for him and his glory, made by him, through him. He's holding it all together. And then out of Paul does this part of the argument. And then what about you? Do you see the beauty of this argument? This kind of creative genius, this kind of power and authority that, that holds the whole universe, every molecule together, everything out there that we can't even fathom. And, and then let's talk about you. So he goes from talking about the, the, the power and authority that he has over the expanses of the physical universe, and he goes to a much deeper, more difficult thing that would be for us. Because we can even understand laws of science. We can understand facts, and we can put things together and connect the dots on these things. You can't take a dead soul and give it new life. We can even understand how to do many things scientifically nowadays through technology that, you know, 20 years ago, 100 years ago, people would not even think of, but you can't take a dead spirit, a dead soul, and breathe spiritual life and give it eternity. And so Paul's argument there is going from the grandioseness of that to this God and goes, and then you. Notice his language. 
Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And he could go on and on and being more explicit and more explicit. All of those things through him to reconcile, I'm sorry, uh, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So that's his person and work. And, and you, look what he's done through his, his own life in him, the person and his work, reconciling you through the cross, through the blood on the cross. So we learned about that, what the reconciliation looked like. We learned about justification. That's what he's speaking of right there when he says that, to present you holy and blameless above reproach. You would never be that. And yet he, he says, I'm imputing that to you. And so the beauty that he brings out there um, of justification, adoption. So as we see this, he has this transition from the miraculous taking a dead soul with, with arrogance and sin and rebellious and millions of corrupted ways. And this Jesus has the power to change that. So the idea of him breaking into our sinful wreck of lives, uh, being separated and hostile towards God, and him bringing reconciliation to where God accepts you, God forgives you, and now you have been changed, transformed, to where now you want to live for him instead of living for yourself. So you see, there's this awe that leads to, it should lead to adoration, but also it should lead to faithfulness. Um, we should be moving to more adoration, but if we're not careful, awe and adoration kind of wanes, doesn't it? Awe and adoration kind of loses its steam sometimes. If we're not careful, we end up kind of saying, well, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, we get it, we get it. It's, it, it's Christmas time. Jesus came. He was a baby. He ended up dying for our sins, blah, blah, blah. If we're not careful, we're wanting just give me three life points on how to have, a, you know, have a better finances in a downturn economy. Three easy steps to fix my wife. Three easy steps to fix my husband. Four simple steps to have great children. Show me those places. That's what, and see what I'm saying about here's life over here, what I'm trying to do, and here's what God has done in this, this, this stuff that's way out there. And we have this separation instead of going, no, this part of life, it fits in with what God has done here. And this is what Paul's making clear there. When we get extremely familiar with God's story. We get extremely familiar with the story of Jesus and his cross and the bullet points there. Um, but we get so familiar with it that it's no longer awe-producing. It's no longer leading to adoration. So we've got to fight for that, and you've probably experienced that. So where's your heart with Christ this season? Where's your heart with Christ? Has it been distracted by more and more social media stuff, funny commercials, um, uh, football playoffs, um, family meals and family travel and getting the kids ready and having to go all over? And where's Christ in the middle of that? Um, listen to these scriptures pointing to a deep, deep awe and adoration. So this is 1 Peter um, verses 8 through 21. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Was that Monday for you? Remember how I talked about we're kind of on this sliding scale? Adoration, awe, loving him, rejoicing. 
bad traffic. Where's God? How is God alive if traffic's like this on Memorial? Here's this coworker. Here's this neighbor. Here's this family situation. Where's God? You see what we do? There's a sliding scale that we're on. He says, we're rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, so he's going now he's going back to Old Testament times, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Think about that phrase. The grace that was to be yours, they didn't even understand. The prophets, blurry, barely got little bitty peaks, did not understand God himself was going to come and die on the cross. Thought power, uh, a powerful, thought probably a powerful militaristic leader was going to come on, kick out Greece or Rome or uh, whoever, Babylon, who was in control. That's what they were thinking. Those prophets who were alive at that time, remember we went through Nehemiah, we went through some of those Old Testament prophets, and we've looked at that, and they were expecting uh, uh, the Messiah to come and set up social reform on the earth with a powerful militaristic leader, not him to come as a suffering lamb to die for sins, right? And so, concerning the salvation, the prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Now, that, that to be yours means placement. We've studied that. Justification. Remember the courtroom setting? You are now not guilty. Sankey, step aside from the guilty spot. I get to step over here. Christ came and took on my wrath on the cross. That's placement. That is the indicative. If you want to say indicative, it's indicative that your life has been changed, that something happened in the mind and heart of God where it is not changeable now, where he is saying, you are justified, you are righteous. It's indicative of a placement thing. The grace that was to be yours in God's mind, that's placed on you. That's a placement thing that you can't earn. The grace that was to be yours, and they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person, what was that going to look like, or time, the Spirit of Christ in them, so is, is the Holy Spirit and is Christ's Spirit is communicating with them, and they're, they're writing stuff, those Old Testament prophets, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. They should have got a better picture, huh? They were one of a powerful militaristic leader, and Isaiah 53 is not picturing that, right? And the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you. So that the gospel message, the things being those indicatives, those truths that, that God performed for you, that was placed on you, your true placement now. And, and he's saying, all those prophets, they wanted to know, they desired to know what that looked like, and they didn't have full understanding of it. They were serving you through, through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You think angels sit up there and watch what you're doing sometimes on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday and are going, are you kidding me? You see what he's into? You see what she's doing? You just got grace for that? I don't think that they take that tone. I don't think there's like that, you know, kind of that comfortableness with God. They are like just in awe and fear, but they're watching it. It's saying that they're seeing that going, man, I I can't believe that they, he just keeps pouring out grace and grace and grace. He is long-suffering. He is patient with his people. And then what about those of us who gather in the church? He's like, 
I'm sure those angels were like, man, in the break room, you know, like maybe they're hoping that God can hear something. They're like, man, those people are as bad off as the people who don't even go to church. Have you seen what's going on over here? And all of that, just God's powerful grace. Do we have the same appreciation and awe, especially, especially since we know who he is and exactly what he performed for us? He says, though you haven't seen him, knowing all that you've received, all that you've been granted through Jesus' work, all the clarity of God's redemptive plan, all of those centuries of people who didn't have the knowledge, but you love him. So Peter's going, laying out the argument, you, you should be in love with him, even though you don't see him. Do you love him? Are you adoring him because of the work that he's done for you? So now notice in this section here in, in 1 Peter, we have this transition. We see movement from awe to adoration to faithful obedience. So look at this. It says, um, therefore, based on all of that, preparing your minds for action. So now here, based on the indicatives what, where you've been placed in Christ, what God has done in your life, based on all of that, therefore, prepare your minds for action. This should produce something. So the imperative, the command, go live this Christian life, flows out of the indicative. So this is where, where theologians talk about um, imperatives, the commands, go and do this and go and do that and go do that. The imperative commands always flow out of the indicative. It's not the opposite way. As Christians, we kind of flip it sometimes. and We kind of think, if I obey all these commands, God will really, really love me. If I do these things, have better quiet times, am nicer, don't do this and don't do this, and we make our list and make our list and make our list, then I'll be closer to God. We don't really think through what that's saying to Jesus. You didn't put me close enough to God. Do you see how we do that? I'm definitely closer than those people because look at their list. I keep a much better list, and I know God sees it, and I know God approves of it more. And so... The indicative says, no, no, no. Jesus placed you as the closest you're ever going to be, holy and righteous. That's what God has put on you. Therefore, if that has happened to you, the natural thing would be to flow out of that would be awe and appreciation and faithfulness. I'm amazed that you did that. That's why I obey. It's not obeying to earn merit. It's because he has granted you unearned merit. I want to obey. There's a beautiful story about a police officer, and this goes back years. There was a, a pastor, and actually he was here in Tulsa, and he was telling this story about um, the difference, and it was this guy who had become, he was becoming a police officer, and he was on in that process of uh, going through all the trainings and all those things, but he had to dress like a normal, everyday citizen, and he would ride in the back seat of the cop car. And so on many, many times, they were, you know, they'd pull up on a scene, and he'd kind of get out, hands in his pocket, and he's kind of like taking mental notes of, you know, what do we do in this situation? You know, this is crazy. I'm glad I'm not fully dressed for this one because that looks like a lot of blood or there's a you know a big crowd. I think I'll just stay in the back seat. And so then um, he's going to all these situations. He's just standing around. He's watching the crowds. And he really is not supposed to like get hands-on with anything unless something got way out of control. But then the day comes and finally he's got his blue suit on. You know He's got his uniform and his gun and all that stuff. And so now he's in the front seat before they had the computers and you could have two guys in a car, two girls in a car. And he goes, and so now he's on the scene and from all those months, like nine months of training, of standing there and watching and observing, now they, they fly to the scene of this, this big crime, and there's a situation going on, so there's someone laying here on the ground bleeding, there's a crowd gathered around, and he's got his uniform on, and he just walks up, he's just watching. And so the other guy's, you know, helping and doing all this stuff and calling out, and he's got his hands in his pockets just watching. And so he noticed after a few seconds, people are looking at him, and they're just like, what are you doing? And he's like, 
oh, yeah. And they're like, you're a cop. You're a police officer. You should be doing something now. And so it was all changed when he had this outer garment on. It was all changed because he had been made a police officer now. Now his action, taking action, flowed out of the change that had taken place. Where Now you are a police officer. Act like a police officer. Stop standing there. And so he had to become faithful in doing that. So that's what Peter's trying to bring out in this situation. Because of this, this, this precious blood of Christ, it's not you're going to get closer to God. It's not um, you, you earn holy or prove that you're holy. But based on the holiness that Jesus lived out that was imputed to you, wouldn't you want to live this way to glorify him, to honor him? Wouldn't you want to do that? So you see, the imperatives flow out of the indicatives. So connecting those dots from awe to admiration, we see this in relationships. So think about your kids. I remember when, um, so this idea of awe and then moving to adoring and then moving to faithfulness. Um, I remember when our first kids born, all three boys, you go in this room, and so then all of a sudden, you know, this, this whole kind of crazy scene happens, and the next thing you know, there's this living baby, and it all hits. The reality hits. If you think back to that first baby or the second baby or third, fourth, fifth, and, and they're kind of purple and yellow and bluish, and, and, and they've been breathing in water for nine months, right? And there's no gills when they come out. Right, so that mine didn't have any gills. Maybe yours did. So they've been breathing in water, and now they're they're breathing air. And they hand this thing to you. And so I I, I don't know. I mean, it was a good hospital, um, really solid people around. It seemed like um, they they done some sort of estimation. And I guess I did so good in the delivery process. And and, and Jamie was there. Don't get me wrong. Jamie was there. She did a really good job also. But something happened. I did so good in the delivery that they just like elevated me and promoted me to like doctor status. So we're two minutes in and they just like, hey, Mr. Lynch, can you come over here? You're going to remove the umbilical cord. And so I was thinking, man, I'm, uh, I don't feel like I've went through any testing for this, and you know, I didn't really know what the utensils were called, but they give me some sutures or scissors or whatever those people call those things. And so the next thing I know, I'm doing minor surgery, and given, I mean, the doctor didn't look like he did very much more than I was doing in there either, but then I'm doing minor surgery, and I, I thought, man, this is an incredible experience, and here I am doing this. And so after they do all this, they just say, this is yours to take home. Now, you're a parent, right? And so you haven't had that feeling before. And, and so all of a sudden, you thought you loved things before. You thought you cared for things before. But man, now, if anyone tried to damage this little child, it's completely different. Because you have went from the awe of this whole experience to now you're adoring this little child. And what would be the natural thing? Would you just go, well, hey, I'm just going to let them raise themselves? No, there's something wired in us that God gives us these little glimpses of awe in relationships. God gives us these little glimpses of adoration in relationships. It's supposed to lead to faithfulness. You see the same thing in marriage. Um, and he's not worried about that. He's not wanting like, I don't want you to really love your spouse or to love your children. Um, obviously, there are tons of people who do. They idolize their children. Uh, they could idolize a person before they're married usually, and they idolize them and exalt them so much, and it's idolatry. But, but he has this built into us where, where awe and attraction to something moves to appreciation of it, and now we're adoring it, and now we, we're wanting to be faithful. So that, that should be working in marriage, right? And so in all those things, it's this beautiful picture. 
Um, Jesus had this same idea. There's a, there's a uh, verse in John 14, 21. There's lots of these. But, but on this natural progression built into us, in John 14, 21, he said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And so when he says that, he's not saying, if you prove your track record, then you get to love me. He's going, no, if you've understood what I've done for you and accomplished for you, and your heart has been open to that and you love me, it's going to be evident. Those who love me, you're going to see it in the way they have my commands and obey my commands. So his words can be kind of cryptic that way sometimes where you're like, does this mean that we do these things right and we'll get approval? No, it's because you've been accepted on unearned merit. Because of that, you would want to walk out in obedience. Now, um, Jesus' expectation was that you would be in awe and adoration of him and then want to walk in faithfulness. When we get to the, the, the things that hold us back, I want us to turn to the parable of the sower. So if you look at Matthew 13, these are the things that are threats to adoration. These are the threats, the things that are threats to faithfulness. So Jesus tells this parable he's in Matthew 13, 3 through 9. He says, he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. So for kids, if you know, sowing is not like with a, with a needle and um, string. If sowing is seeds, and you guys probably haven't seen that, but they would till up a field and they would tear up the ground and then they would just take seed out of this bag and they would just throw the seed down as they were walking. And so then you know that the seed goes in the ground, they would cover it up and water it, and then a few months later, um, little plants would raise up. And so the, the sower would go out. So as he's sowing, some fell along the path. And birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." It's a key part there also. But we just see the, the, the basic of that, a very quick interpretation or just, just the uh, observations is that he clearly has these four areas. Seed that was sown along the path. Then seed that was sown on rocky ground. Seed that was among thorns and then on good soil. And then if you just jump down to verse 16 through 17, he says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they here. Remember earlier I was saying how, how we sometimes we're so familiar with the story of Jesus and his truths. Now, what was that like for those people standing there if you fell in love with Jesus and he was there? And he said, Hey, blessed are your ears because you're understanding this message. You're seeing life. You're about to see some crazy stuff that's going to redeem all of mankind. But that's not for everyone. Can you imagine that? Looking around, going, Man, I am one who hears and understands, who sees and understands. So he says, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. But notice the next phrase he says, Hear then the parable of the sword. He doesn't mean hear with your ears. He means take the time to really think through. So I would, I would press this on you and I. 
Take the time to really think through this. Hear then the parable of the sower. Here's what it means. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away because um, what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so um, as those sowers would go out the path as they were walking, what happens when you walk on soil and ground? You trample it and it gets packed so nothing can go in. So it's just hardened, right? It's hardened. So the seed couldn't go into there and, and take time to grow roots or anything. It was just on the path on top and, and it never got into any kind of soil, never, never got into any kind of good soil. And he says, um, the... Um, the evil one comes, and he doesn't understand. The evil one comes and snatches away that what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then when persecution or when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So some key things there is the word tribulation just means all kinds of struggles. So have you seen people, maybe family or friends or coworkers or people in your life who it seems like they, they got saved, that they had this immediate thing and they were just, anytime the church had something going on, they wanted to, lots of joy. I remember even in our church, we had two or three scenarios where people came and they were so enthusiastic and they were telling me, oh, we, were, we just come from this place. I was this and this and this and this at that place. And then that's just a yellow flag, just so you'll know. If that's the first time you talk and they start doing all those and wanting their, that same role here. And so you're just listening and just wanting to give time and, and space and patience. And, and, and then I remember one person in particular, they just said, oh, yeah, my family member, they come, but hey, they do this all the time. About three times a year, they find a new thing that they're all into. It could be working out for like six months, and then they're like, oh, we're going to go completely like, we're going to buy a pontoon boat, we're, gonna just, we're just going to be all about the lake. Oh, and then, hey, we're going to go, oh, we're going to start getting all these books, and we're going to start reading all this stuff on this subject. And, and they do the same thing with Jesus, and they like Jesus and are really joyful for three months or six months. And then notice when it says they immediately fall away. It's weird because the wording there, fall away, falling away is kind of this slower term picture, uh, in the, even in the Greek. So it's this, this, this process, this process, this process. You've been cold-hearted. You've been not in love with Christ. You've not been adoring and awe. And then immediately everyone goes, oh, the crisis hit. And, and we've seen it happen, right? The explosion happened. The marriage exploded. The family exploded. They went off the tracks. It wasn't immediately. Like they were loving Jesus this day. It, their heart was cold for a while. They'd just been going through the motions. And Jesus is saying, hey, 2022, pandemic, you betcha that's how people live. They learn. They, they don't need people. The church, they can have a performance on the screen. They don't need people in life. They don't need accountability. They don't need life-on-life -life discipleship. Man, just give them something they can click quickly. Make it as easy as we can make it. So that's the greatest threat here is this familiarity with no awe, no adoration, no obedience, or just as bad, maybe just a little awe or a little adoration or a little obedience. And I want to be clear. Um, so through the centuries, Ever since Jesus first told this, all through the centuries, this was not um, out of these four areas that, that, that two or three of these were all believers. All through the centuries, until about the 1950s, all commentaries and theologians and pastors all saw all these three categories as clearly they're giving evidence that they're, they're not believers. 
Only the last one was. Now, to us, that's kind of shocking because we've kind of created not only a, a Christian subculture and even churches that promote this idea of like, hey, well, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, go live like you want to live. And like, as long as you're like, show up every once in a while, we don't, we don't expect membership. We don't expect to you know, any kind of commitment or anything like that. We don't expect you to have any kind of, you know, like uh, expectations on changing your living or anything. Just, you know, as long as you, you say you love God, right? Oh, okay. Well, he's cool with that. That, that's, that's how we've dumbed it down in American churches. Um, so bad. that Think through if this was a situation, if we took the church experience and we applied it to uh, fitness gyms. If they just said, hey, listen, we've got this great thing. I, I see you put on 50 to 60 pounds. You're 60, 70 pounds overweight. And uh, we've got this wonderful plan that's going to change your life. Here's how great it is. It's not going to cost you anything at all. No fees to pay. There's no commitment to come meet with a trainer. You don't even have to come up to the thing. To, to be honest, you don't even have to show up. But, but what we'd say is if you'll come once a week for about five minutes, you don't have to change your diet. You don't have to change anything. Like how many of you are going to buy? Uh, that sounds really good, right? Like I'm like, I might consider that for about 10 seconds, but then life kicks in and you go, no, there's no way. And so we wouldn't do that with a, a fitness place, but yet with the church, we do that real easily. No commitment, no cost. No expectation. No, no expectation of living a certain way. No expectation of faithfulness. No, no type of commitment at all. But, but like we're promising you, God, it's just right around the corner. All the prosperity, all the riches, it's just about to fall on you. And our American culture has eaten it up. So this, these threats go from that, that general overall threat of familiarity with no awe and no adoration. Notice in the first one, the, the, he says, hearing the word of God, Hearts were completely hardened. This is this refusal to see it and understand it. And the second one, the rocky ground, it's hearing God's word and work. And, and notice that all of these, all four of these categories, it wasn't, oh, the unchurched people that weren't hearing. Notice Jesus. He's going, hey, church crowd, the ones hearing my words, all of them were getting the seed sown. It wasn't a problem of, oh, well, well, well the, the, what was sown was bad. The message was bad. No, all of them were getting the same message but notice the level of hearts. Let, notice all three of these. The, the rocky ground is that where um, there's this initial burst of joy or enthusiasm for the things of God, but after a season of life, awe and adoration has gone cold. That's just shallow, convenient Christianity. No cost, no convenience, no commitment Christianity. And, and think through, a lot of churches have decided that's what we want. To get more people, we've got to create that kind of culture. Because that's what people want. We love Quick Trip. We love DoorDash, right? Because it's easy, no, con no, no problem for me. It's super convenient, and it's also very, very cheap. That guy treats me great behind the counter. It's a shallow relationship. You want a receipt? Nope, thanks. Come back. That's great. That's all I want. And if we're not careful, that's what we transpose over to the church. All of those things are pictures of our American culture. The third threat, the among thorns. Notice this is probably one of the most dangerous. If you've been in the church any time at all, notice what he says about this one. These are, these are, one, these are the ones that um, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke out a love for God. Now here, here's what commentators have said. This soil was so fertile, it's a passionate heart. It's a passionate heart that, that does, it loves Jesus. It really does. It really, really does but it also loves a lot of other things. 
It loves a lot, lot of other things. So after a while, even if it's three years, 10 years, 20 years, you see that. When people just go, I just don't. And now they just fall off. In those cases, that's what we see here. So how do you know if the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of riches are choking out your love for God? It's very subjective. It's very difficult for us. So the last one being the beautiful blessing of the, the, the true heart, the response that, that says we are in awe, we are in adoration, we are in appreciation of what God has done for us, and therefore we want to be faithful. And we're not in control of how much God, re, how much God produces in our faithfulness. God's the one who gives the growth. Whether that's our own personal life, whether that's our, our marriage, whether that's our parenting, whether that's our churches. We don't set up the system and then dictate to God, this is how it's going to be. If I'm going to be faithful, here's what I want. And that, if, if we're not careful, that's what we do a lot of times. If I'm really going to sell out to you, here's what I give as my prayer request. Here's what I expect. And you see our hearts, when, when that, that doesn't line up, then we start going, hold it. I think I've been faithful to you. You're kind of dropping the ball on your end. God, and that comes out of our heart real weird. So in closing, as we move to the Lord's Supper, I want you to think through that. What kind of soil are you this morning? Which heart does Jesus' parable reveal about your heart? Have the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, robbed me of the priceless, matchless riches of grace in Christ Jesus? Am I living for self or comfort, or am I living for him and his kingdom? Do I see how... Everything in life was created for him and through him and by him, and all the glory is going back to him. Has my heart moved to a place of being completely hardened? Have the ideas of convenience or no cost or no commitment Christianity cast out true Christianity? I bought into the American ideal of Christianity versus the biblical view of awe and adoration and faithfulness. I know you may think, be thinking, man, Sankey, this is kind of heavy. Can't we just enjoy the, the story of little baby Jesus and uh, the manger and some animals and make it real light? And I think that the greatest gift that we need to be confronted with every single year during Advent is the true biblical Jesus, not, not a version of Jesus just set up for our happiness that we create in our own image of what I want him to be like. But, but he deserves and he knows and he desires awe and appreciation and faithfulness, all of those things. So I'd, I'd have you consider um, what is it that your heart is like in this parable? Which one of those? As we move to the Lord's Supper, I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes to, to pray and process that. We, we practice open communion where if you're um, in good standing and you're a believer and you've been dis, uh, uh, baptized and you've, you're following the Lord and you're not in just outright unrepentant sin, then you can participate with us where um, other churches sometimes will have closed communion, meaning if you're not on the membership role, you don't get to participate in the Lord's Supper. But we want to do this as a time of celebrating and a time of being soberly awake, our mind challenged with these things. So let me pray and then I'll give you some time to respond.